And welcome to the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You can also chime in via Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. We're going to get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets. We're going to do something a little bit different. I know we've been focusing a lot on OTAs over mm -hmm. the last few weeks, but there was an interesting article posted on NFL.com where they went division by division, team by team, and listed five reasons why they think every team can ultimately make the playoffs. So Paul and I are going to break down why the Giants could very well make it to the playoffs this season. We'll go over some of those factors. We'll look at the division as a whole, and then we'd love to get some feedback from you as well. So stay tuned for that. And let's start with some of the factors, Paul, for why they think the GiantsNFL.com is going to make the playoffs. And this was written by Adam Rank, and you can check it out on NFL.com. And factor number one, I don't think it's stunning, but it's the <laughs> fact that Odell Beckham is returning to the field, which I would say is a, a pretty good step in the right direction. Here is probably the best selling point to me with respect to the statistic of why Odell Beckham's return is so huge. And the article credits ESPN's Bill Barnwell who tweeted out recently this statistic. Eli has thrown 66 touchdowns with 29 interceptions and a 91.5 passer rating with Odell Beckham on the field. Without Odell Beckham on the field, Manning 14 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, a passer rating of 75. Look, part of that is because of Odell. The other part of that is because the Giants have not had a consistent running game. Absolutely. And when you take Odell out of the equation, you're talking about an offense that, well, it's like a cactus looking for water in a desert. <laughs> okay? Interesting There's, analogy. Well, yeah. am I right? I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. I just I was expecting the pasta or something with the meatballs and spaghetti, but you went that direction. That's fine. I'm okay. following you. Yeah. So, I mean, really, I get the Odell factor, but really the dramatic change in the numbers is a combination of no Odell and really not much of a consistent running game. It's not just Odell, and I'm not trying to belittle yeah. Beckham's impact on this team at all because I'd be foolish to do so, but I do think that that particular angle is indicative of those two issues more than it is just one. Well, and I think it's also indicative, Paul, when he's on the field, how he has the capabilities of opening other facets of the team up, meaning mm -hmm. giving favorable one-on-one -on -one coverage for other receivers, maybe opening up the middle of the field. No question. Perhaps giving the team an opportunity to run the football because there's not as many guys in the box. That doesn't mean they're going to successfully run the football, but it does change the dynamics, I think, of the offense. Mm-hmm. That certainly has been well documented. All right, factor number two, once again, not necessarily a surprise, the arrival of Saquon Barkley. And one of the statements that is written here is that, quote, it seems almost unfair that the Giants will get one of the best receivers on the planet back and then pair him with the best running back prospect in generations. And what Adam Rank, the writer, compares this to, which I think is interesting as a big basketball fan, the analogy of when San Antonio had David Robinson he got hurt, and then the Spurs wound up with the number one overall pick, and they brought in Tim Duncan. So then you ultimately had the twin towers of David Robinson and Tim Duncan on the same team. That's what the comparison is to boo-hoo for the rest of the Barkley league. And Beckham together. Okay. Yes. Boo-hoo. So sorry for them. <laughs> Not hiding back your true emotions there. 
Did they have to suffer through a three-win season and, and, and deal with all the stuff that the Giants had to deal with, all the thorns in their side? Well, the Spurs all- had a rough season, though. The year that Robinson got hurt. Oh, I oh, understand. Yeah. yeah, but the Spurs also the Spurs also did some tanking to get what they got. And oh. let's not kid ourselves. I'm not going to disagree. With Giants you were trying like heck to win every single week because they were tired of the misery that they were going through, and they were hoping to escape it, and they couldn't. The Spurs were very willing, very willing, to do what they had to do to get those two big men. But we won't go any further. This is not an NBA show, folks. Yes, but there's nothing wrong with bringing in other sports. But in regards to the to the Barkley mention, look, I just got done watching some of Dan Orlowski's uh, Tuesday morning quarterback on the NFL uh, Network show Good Morning Football, and he's very, very good. Terrific analyst, good football mind, former UConn quarterback. For those of you in the metropolitan area who remember the name, played with the Lions for several years. What I liked about what he said, and it really applies to this, He was talking about how uh, many of your most successful offenses nowadays are going to the RPOs, the run-pass options, okay? Now, we know every quarterback has audibles, and they'll talk about left-right or run-pass. We all get that, okay? Check with me packages are what they used to call them years ago in my day when Parcells was the head coach. But what's happening now is that because there's so much zone being played in the league, you know, you get these quarterbacks who have this run-pass option when they get that zone look. And if that offense has a significant superstar running back threat in the backfield, usually all he's got to do, and Olavsky was showing this on the on the video, and he said it's one part of the reason why the Eagles were so incredibly successful offensively, and it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Because the run-pass option against a lot of zone defenses, all the quarterback has to do is look at one defender, and he knows exactly where the mismatch is as to whether or not run or pass and where the ball's got to go. He basically said it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. The way this offense is designed with the skill set players that they have at the running and passing game, that anybody could quarterback this team and it would be successful. He was basically saying it was Doug Peterson's ability to isolate the run and pass matchups against these zone defenses that made them so deadly and that there should be a lot more teams going to it and that the only way to really combat it is if you play a bunch more man-to-man coverage. Well, guess what? You and I both know there aren't enough quality defensive backs in this league for all 32 teams to constantly play man-to-man yep. coverage. Well, so, I think the Giants saw that too last season. Yeah. So he was saying that against that kind of offense, you can virtually play the play exactly right defensively and still have a 50% chance of giving a positive yardage. And and he was like, it just it's it's horrifying sometimes to think of yourself as a defensive player, given the state of what's now happening in the league. And I think I think a lot of this has to do with over the years the rules changes to favor the offense and to favor the passing game, and and defenses they can't load up on one thing or the other anymore. You know, they have to be versatile. They have to be able to play both. And when you're on your heels and you're trying to play both and you're you're stressing more uh, athleticism and speed, well, you're going to give up something else. Everything you do in the NFL is Rob Peter to pay Paul. Usually you can't maximize all your options on any given play. Usually any time that you try to lean towards something, 
you're going to be taking it away from something else. That's just the way the game Exposing works. Exposing yourself in another area. So yeah. the Barkley thing addresses that. I didn't want to get off on a tangent, folks, but that ex- that is very, very, very telling in terms of if the Giants are going to start doing more of that stuff, which I suspect Pat Shermer will do. Okay, they did a lot of that in Minnesota. Uh, I expect he'll do a lot more of that. It's not just your simple play action. It, it, it's 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 a it's a very deceptive and based on a reaction by the quarterback, which means Eli is going to use even more of his head. And when you got Barkley in the backfield, that's what helps make this effective. Because guess what? When an offensive line that's not doing so well, and then a mixture of okay running backs, it waters down the effectiveness of this. Now you put a superstar running back back there. You got. Terrific skill positions on the outside, and you got a good offensive line. Now, this becomes deadly. So, I, I didn't mean to get too long into that, folks, but that I really think Barkley just stepping on the field is going to have a big impact on this team. Well, piggybacking off of that point, the other factors that are brought up in relation to what you just laid out is the fact that Barkley's versatility will help because he can receive the ball Mm -hmm. out of the backfield, could also run effectively. And then factor number three is the improvement of the offensive line overall. The arrival of Nate Solder, Will Hernandez, and this is an exact line from this article. Bold declaration. Quote, Will Hernandez will have a bigger impact on the Giants this season than Saquon Barkley, end quote. <sighs> wow. That's what the writer believes. Now, also, the writer said that says a, lot, it's a little it? bit of hyperbole in some of his statement, but he believes that Hernandez is going to be a huge X factor on the offensive line. That's a lot of body we're talking about. <laughs> yes. Hey. I, physically I, and literally. I'll tell you what. I, I just... I just hope for the Giants' sake, and and I mean this, folks, I hope for their sake because this organization had to really stumble through rocky times last year. Uh, You know, the building isn't isn't really sunshiny and bright and energized. Rainbows and lollipops, lollipops, yeah. yeah. Cotton candy and all that good stuff. When, uh, although I don't like cotton candy very much. In fact, I don't like it at all. Uh, When things are going bad. And and there was a lot of bad. So let's just hope that, that all of these things are as advertised. And to this point, all of these newcomers do seem to be exactly as advertised, which would bode well. Factor number four is the defense. Now, his point is that with the defense ranking pretty much dead last in multiple categories, it can't get any worse. That's sort of his selling point. But he also brings up, he thinks James Betcher's aggressiveness will help this defense make up for maybe where it lacks from a talent standpoint. And Mm -hmm. what he brings up, he says, James Betcher helped the Cardinals finish in the top 10 in total defense last three years. The only other team to finish in the top 10 throughout that entire span was the Denver Broncos, and that's not too shabby. And feels as if they're going to blitz a lot, given the fact that the Cardinals had the second highest blitz rate in 2017. So he feels the aggressiveness of James Betcher, Paul, is going to perhaps make up for when you look at this team right now on paper and you say, well, where's the pass rush going to come from? Where are the sacks going to come from if you lost JPP, who led the team in sacks, and you lost DRC, arguably one of your best cover guys? How are you going to make up for that? The counter is the aggressiveness overall of the defense. You know, I think one of the things that Landon Collins told us yesterday at the media veil, 
was that everybody can make a play in this defense. You know, and I'm not I'm not going to at all, and I've said this on the show before, and I'll say it a billion times again this year. I'm not going to besmirch Spags. Steve Spagnuolo, to me, is an outstanding defensive coordinator. I really believe that. And you know what? For those of you who want to point any finger at him at all, think about three years ago when the Giants were last in defense when he had a really difficult depth chart to work with, and then they went out and got three star defensive players. And the following year, not only did the Giants make the playoffs, but the defense was the crux of the reason why, and they were number one in the NFC in fewest points allowed. That wasn't by accident, okay? So if you think that Spags was not a good D.C., then that would have been impossible for him to do, but he did it, which just goes to prove, as we all know, if you don't have the players, you don't have a chance to make it happen. So let me just get that out of the way, and I'll say it many more times during this season because I'm a Spags guy. Having said all of that, James Betcher's track record, each of the last three years, top 10 defense with with Arizona, he's done it with a tremendous amount of of mixture involved in his scheme. Like I said, fluid. I'm going to come up with a nickname for this defense at some point because it needs one. Um, But let's see him do it here first before we get to that point. But I did think Collins made an interesting point yesterday when he said that everybody on the defense is involved in making the play. I don't know how to interpret that other than to say that Maybe in some other defenses, and I know defenses in the past, for example, when Lawrence Taylor was roaming the gridiron for the Giants, many a times the idea was everybody else kind of hold the fort. Lawrence is going to do what Lawrence does. Yeah. Okay? He's going to pick his spot to rush the passer. He's going to take his lane. He's going to decide when he's going. He's going to decide if he's going to chuck the tight end to the running back or he's going to decide if he's going to take on the double team. Or quite frankly, everybody, just plow right because Lawrence is going to be cleared out almost like what Jordan would play in basketball. And they'd say clear it out for him. Clear it out for Lawrence and let him do what he's going to do. Um, I know that that does happen on occasion. But it seems to me that Landon's description of everybody's involved in the defense, everybody's making the play, that sounds like it's a philosophical thing to me. And I don't know exactly how to interpret that. I want to talk to him more about it when he gets the chance. But I do know that the fluidity of the secondary and the secondary guys who are swapping positions and playing some linebacker and the guys in the front seven who are swapping positions, maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe the fact is that you know, you're a linebacker, you really have to know all the positions, or maybe as a secondary guy, you have to know every position in the secondary because you never know on a certain play you might be playing the other position. Maybe that's what he means. Well, I, I think it has to do with some mixing and matching, but I also think it has to do, Paul, with the fact that you know James Betcher may say, hey, you know what, it's coming from the right. Then now we're going to bring it from the left. We're going to use the safeties on this one. We're going to rely on the corners on this play. I, I think he's just going to bring havoc in a variety of different directions and therefore that's going to give multiple players an opportunity to make plays and, and going back to your point about Lawrence Taylor listen you know you were around for this so I'm not necessarily going to debate you on this but even though Lawrence may have had the green light you still saw Leonard Marshall 
George Martin, Carl Banks. I mean, those guys still were making plays. And they were really good, exactly. too. Exactly. <laughs> so, so even Harry Carson. Yeah. So even when you give, let's say, the green light to Chandler Jones, and I'm using him because he was on the Arizona defense, that doesn't mean that now all of a sudden the Honey Badger can't make plays. It's a matter of taking advantage of the one guy that you're leaning on to do a lot of the heavy lifting. But I think if you're James Betcher at this point, you may still be looking for your key to the ignition, meaning is Landon Collins the guy? Is it Olivier Vernon, Paul? Mm -hmm. Is it Kareem Martin? Who's the guy? I, I mean, I look at this defense, and I don't necessarily see if you ask me to pick out one guy in the group of names that, oh, this is the one defensive player that right. every offensive coordinator who goes up against the Giants is saying, we have to watch out for. Do you think there's one guy that comes to mind in your mind? Do you think when every offense goes up against the Giants defense this year, Landon Collins is the first and only name that they'll talk about? Because I think you can make a case for a few different guys. I don't think they necessarily have a clear-cut one guy, that's it. We have to make sure we're aware of where And he that's is. an interesting point because I think what happens is because of Betcher, and you've explained it well, on almost every other play, there's going to be a different guy who they're going to feature yeah. in the chaotic package that he's throwing at them. And so it's not that we got to watch a particular person, it's we got to watch that position. You know, on this play, the free safety's coming through the A-gap. On this play, the slot guy is coming off the edge. On this play, the defensive end's doing a twist. You have to watch multiple positions because you don't know what's behind any of the doors exactly. with Betcher as opposed to trying to feature the kinds of players. And that, you know, and you know what? Here's what I will say. Think about this. I mean, you work with, with Sirius in the NFL channel. I've been in the NFL forever. We're not talking about us, but the last three years, the Arizona Cardinals, how many people do you think can name half the starters on the Cardinals' defense? Average NFL fans. Average NFL fans? Probably not many. I mean, who are not following the Cardinals religiously? I don't think a lot of people would be able to name half of the Cardinals' defense. No, because let's face it, there's just not a lot of household names on that D. That's why I think and it's yet consistently top what James 10. Betcher did, correct, which means that he got the most out of the talent that he was given. And it was a lot of talent that was young, and it was also a lot of talent that it was guys who he was also experimenting with, Paul. You know, Kareem Martin. Kareem Martin is a player that has been moved between the line and linebacking mm -hmm. positions throughout his career. Josh Morrow. I mean, these are not players that you remember going top 10 in the first round and saying, wow, yes, Chandler Jones is a big name, but remember, Chandler Jones was acquired from the Patriots. Chandler Jones was not a homegrown talent for the Arizona mm. Cardinals. The Honey Badger was, okay, so I'll give you one there, but you look at the rest of the linebackers. They've brought in some veterans. They've developed some young guys. I agree with you. This is not a name filled defense where you're like, wow, I mean, this is an intimidating defense because I'm familiar with all these names. He And I know he said he's not a magician and he's not a Houdini and it's not going to be all about the scheme. But the evidence to this point in his career indicates that the scheme is the bigger problem for other teams than isolating particular superstars. It really does. That, that The evidence shows that. 
So, yeah, and the other thing that I would bring up, you know, what people tend to forget, he was a linebackers coach before he became Correct. defensive coordinator. I'm talking about he was a linebackers coach with the Indianapolis Colts. And the reason I bring that up, Paul, the one thing that's been impressive to me, if you look at Betra's resume, is he's been able to get some players that I feel like have been written off in the later days of their career, like Dwight Freeney. For example, yeah. Freeney he was with an Indy, and then he brings him to Arizona, and hey, Freeney's getting after the quarterback. And you know, people are like, ah, eh, Freeney's seen better days. I'm not necessarily sold on him. Carlos Dansby is another guy. You know, these are the types of players. Now, you look at the Giants, and you could argue, well, you know, the Giants don't have a bunch of aging veterans. But what did we talk about on yesterday's show, Paul? Remember, we were talking about somebody that could be a candidate for a breakout campaign that, you know, entering year three, entering year four, and you're waiting mm -hmm. for them to, you know, have their burst out year. I don't know. I, I'm intrigued to see if Kerry Wynn makes this roster. Kerry Wynn would be a guy that I'd love to see what, what James Betcher could do with a guy like Kerry Wynn. Because, you know, maybe he can tap even more into Kerry Wynn's potential and bring him to the forefront. I'm, I'm more interested to see what he brings out of Avery Moss. Okay, well, Avery Because Moss at a least we've younger. seen Kerry Wynn play for a few years and show flashes. I think I, I kind of got a pretty good idea of what he is. Avery Moss, to me, is just purely untapped coal. And yeah. whether or not there's gold there or not, I, I really don't know yet. I want to see. I think there might be, but I don't know. He, he That would be a more exciting issue for me speaking of coaching last factor and then we'll open up the phone lines and we'll get into some of the other rationale that the writers for NFL.com brought to the table as to why the Cowboys the Redskins and the Eagles can make the plus but the last factor is right on point related to coaching and Pat Shermer is their fifth factor and they feel Shermer's experience is going to help the Giants they also like the fact that he has been a head coach and he's gone through some ups and downs previously mm -hmm. and they feel that Shermer and Gettleman are good complements for one another where you have a GM that has brought in the talent and you have now a coaching staff that is ready to work with that talent so that was the fifth factor to round things out. I think yeah. a lot of good points from this article overall, though. Well, there's no question, and we heard from Red Ellison yesterday, that Pat Shermer is the same guy. What you see is what you get all the time with him. He's straightforward. He's direct. He's honest. I think that makes things easier to pick up for his players. And they really seem to have done so. If you, if you listen to Ellison yesterday, he said, yeah, we, we've picked it up quicker than a lot of people maybe thought. Um what else can you say? I mean, I, I, it's a positive. I think it's a huge positive, especially when Ellison comes down and says that they're picking up the offense he feels at a very good rate. You know, they're not, like, still behind. He made the point, if you remember, mm -hmm. Paul, he was talking about working with Norv Turner, who was the offensive coordinator before Sure. We all know about Norv. And, and Norv's got a great track record, by the way. Great track record you know, as an OC. Talk about what you want with him as a head coach. But yeah. Norv Turner, I mean, people forget, Norv Turner was with the Cowboys when, you know, you had a young Aikman and Emmett Smith, and mm -hmm. he did wonders for that crew. But anyway, get back to the point. And he was mentioning, I found this interesting. He said when Norv Turner was the offensive coordinator of the Vikings, everything was numbers-based. The yes. language of the offense was all numbers. And he said, I came from a system in college it was all word-based. So he had to make that transition. And he goes, <laughs> when Shermer took over, Shermer did a better job of incorporating numbers and incorporating words. And that mixture, he felt, made it 
adaptable to the players. It made it easy for the players to digest. And and that type of insight, it may not mean much of anything in the big picture of things. Okay, I'm not trying to overly emphasize this, Paul, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes little things like that, the subtleties of the name of a play, sure. can maybe be the difference between an offense being able to digest it and execute it versus maybe having some struggles. So I thought that was a very interesting point that Red Ellison brought up. The other thing that I wanted to add, I was looking through Red Ellison's snaps, and I know we got into this a little bit yesterday too, to see maybe if you think Shermer's going to utilize him more. Believe it or not, in 2016, Paul, when Shermer, he started off as the Vikings tight ends coach because Turner was still the OC at the start mm-hmm. of 16. This is what a lot of people, I think, forget. Shermer takes over as OC in November, and then obviously he was the offensive coordinator for the entirety of 17, but Ellison was already with the Giants. Yes. So Ellison was behind Kyle Rudolph, and the reason I bring that up is because now you have Ellison behind Evan Ingram. Correct. So you have a similarity there. Rudolph played 92% of the snaps in 2016, 970 Okay. Ellison played just 25%, 258. Now, we go to Ellison's usage with Ben McAdoo, went up to 50%, 538. So his usage actually increased with the Giants coaching staff last year. I still think 25% is low. And I could see Shermer saying to himself, there's no reason why we can't get that up, even though Evan Engram is still here on the team like a Kyle Rudolph ahead of him on the depth chart. Those numbers are interesting to me yeah. because I said all along during the course of last season that I thought Ellison was underutilized. Uh, and quite frankly, a lot of those feelings came from what Ben McAdoo had said earlier in the year about how much he wanted to use him and then did not. Um, I'm looking at targets just in the passing game this past season. Which is another good factor. You know, 32 targets, 24 catches, both career highs for Ellison. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's correct to automatically. I don't think any of us have automatically assumed that Ellison would play more because Shermer was here. But I do think that all of us assume he will better utilize him. Whether yeah. or not that results in a change in the number of snaps, I think he's going to be more relevant to the offense. No, I think that's well said, Paul. I, I, I think maybe we tended to just make the assumption or appeared that way, but I was with you. My mindset was the utilization of Red Ellison, yeah. not so much, oh, well, you know, him and Shermer are going to get back in the film room and it's going to be like the old <laughs> days, and they're going to reminisce, and they're going to say, hey, sure, oh, I remember that play when you lined me up in the backfield and you had me, you know, run a wheel and route. And the Bears. And that. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I, I wasn't necessarily thinking that. I do think familiarity helps, but I, I think Shermer – being around Ellison and being his positional coach yes. too. That, I think, maybe gives Shermer a little bit better grasp of how Ellison is effective and where you place him on the field can lead to better production. So I'm, with I'm you. 100% with you there. All right, let's open up the phone lines. You want to weigh in and react to that NFL.com article, which was very interesting. As I mentioned, we'll get to some of the other NFC East teams a little bit later on here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. We got Tim getting us going in New Jersey. Tim, what's happening? Nothing. Nothing. What's up? Uh, doing well, Tim. Hello. What do you have for us? I uh, a question. Sure. On July 17th, the Giants will trade Eric Flowers, a 2019 second-round pick, and a 2020 fourth-round pick to the Raiders for Amari Cooper and 2019 and 2020 first-round picks. And on July 20, August 14th, the Giants will trade John Jerry, a 2019 <laughs> 
19, fifth round pick, and a 2020 conditional sixth round pick to the Saints for Ted Ginn Jr., a 2019 seventh round pick, and a 2020 wow. third round pick. All right, Tim. Boy, that's that is a lot to digest uh, right there. I'm smiling here, yeah. Tim, because Charlie's going to love you for addressing <laughs> the offensive line, uh, and and uh, and and perhaps weeding out maybe some guys who Charlie yeah. doesn't want. Well, I was going to say he he basically addressed the offensive line by removal, not necessarily right. by addition. What he's doing is he's then adding Ted Ginn and he's adding Amari Cooper, so he's adding to the receiving court. Appreciate the phone call, Tim. What I always love about Tim is when Tim lays out these trades, not only does he give you the trade poll, he says on July 17th and on August 18th or August 14th, whatever it was. I'm Gives still, you the exact date. I, I'm, I'm still wondering how he and Charlie got each other's phone numbers to discuss these things. <laughs> the wheelie and dealie. Yeah, Charlie, maybe you could provide some insight on Twitter. We're not encouraging you to dial into the program. Trust me, okay? So don't misinterpret. Maybe you could explain to us how you and Tim are communicating, and he is setting up trades to get rid of the players that you're too not too fond of. Because <sighs> I'm telling you, folks, if, if you don't know Charlie, and I'm sure that you do, uh, he would like to to come in here and go through that old line like a food processor. Yes. In all seriousness, I don't see the Raiders even thinking about parting his ways no. with Amari Cooper. No, not even at all. Even if you look at the fact that he did have a rough season, he had a lot of drops, but you know they made changes to the receiving core. They don't have Michael Crabtree, and I think John Gruden is going to certainly utilize him. And, and here's the other thing in all seriousness, and we've talked about this on the show. This is not the time where you start parting ways with depth on your offensive line, Paul. I no. think the Giants are at the point where even if John Jerry doesn't win a starting job, okay, and, and let's say Eric Flowers maybe gets beat out by somebody else at right tackle. I'm, I'm just giving you a hypothetical. You don't just part ways with guys like that. You need insurance. And Giants fans should understand this better than any other fan based on the injuries that the Giants have had to deal with on the offensive line, Paul, for not just last year, but for the last few years. When guys have gone down and it's become a game of musical chairs and you had to take a guard and you have to move it to the opposite side or you take a tackle and move it to the opposite side or you have a backup center playing guard, this is not all of a sudden where, oh, you don't think this player is going to start and you now just try to get him off the roster. You just don't do that. Those players still have value because if they're not starting and they have starting experience and they go to the bench, just think about how much better your bench is mm -hmm. as a result of taking that experience and moving it to the second layer of the depth chart. I agree. Let's head back to the lines at 201-939-4513. We got Rick in Napa. Rick, what's happening? Hey guys, now Rick and Tampa, man. Rick and Tampa, Tampa. I'm that sorry. Was, okay. I like, you know, I like to go to Napa, do some little wine. Well, there you go. Stuff, but, <laughs> but hey, we'll follow I, you I, there. I'll take uh, Tampa's good for now. Hey, uh, it's great call now because it's in between the season and they can get through. So uh, you know what? I just wanted to get a three quick points. Uh, question: First of all, regarding Odell Beckham, uh, with the Giants handling with the contract, do you think is this what they're going to do, and, and is it the right thing to do? Uh, just we got to see what he's going to give us this year before we sign any long-term. A, for his health. B, for no drop passes in the playoffs. Look, God willing, we get to the playoffs. And his overall performance. So do you think that's what the Giants will do? Wait to see what he gives us. Is he healthy? And if he's still the same Odell Beckham. So that's the first question. And then regarding signing him, because he's going to want a big contract. If I put a – I don't like saying put a gun, but put a, put a finger to your head, Paul uh, – Starting September, our offensive line will be who? Our starting offensive line, who will that be? What we uh, saw yesterday with the first team, Solder, Hernandez. Um, I still think Jones beats out Jalapio, but 
you know what? That's a competition, as Coach Shermer said, which will continue through the summer. Uh, then you'll have uh, Omame at right guard and Flowers at right tackle. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. I'm, uh, I heard his. Uh, he was on a WFAN, a Solar. Um, with, uh, the, what's his name from? Uh, we got from New England. Yeah, Nate Solder. Uh, Solder. Yeah. Yeah, and I tell you what, what a character, seam character guy. I, I really think it was one of the biggest signings the Giants have made in a long time. I think he's going to make the offensive line really gel um, uh, this season. So I'm looking forward to uh, the year coming ahead. And the final thing, as I know it's the same thing with all teams, but I really, really think for the Giants that when we come out and finish with the uh, uh, preseason and uh, training camp, the injuries, if we get through without injuries, because it seems like somebody gets hurt and all that all the time with the Giants, if we get through that, I think it's going to be a magical year. If we go into the season, everybody healthy, it's going to be great. Uh, I know that other teams say the same thing, but it just seems to be the case with the Giants. If we get through that, um, we're going to be in good shape, and I really look forward to the season. So, again, nice talking to you guys. And uh, pick up on that Odell Beckham yeah, thought for me. Your, okay? your first point. Thanks. You got it, Rick. Uh, appreciate the phone call. W- with respect to your point about the timing of what may transpire with Odell Beckham, I mean, I always look at the track record. Now, with that being said, I mean, Dave Gettleman is now the GM. It's no longer Jerry Reese. So maybe there's not a great deal of stock and substance that you could put into the decisions that Jerry Reese made. But, you know, they waited with JPP, Paul. Yes. They didn't give him a new extension or a new deal. They waited for his deal to expire. Now, is there risk involved in that? Absolutely there's risk involved in that. But this is what I've said time and time again, and I will continue to emphasize this. Odell Beckham is in the final year of his contract, but that doesn't mean that there are not tools under the CBA, Paul, that you can utilize to protect yourself from just losing a player once his contract expires. Mm -hmm. And there is the franchise tag. And the franchise tag has been utilized by the Giants. It's been utilized by a variety of teams. And it's not crazy to think that if they do want to follow the wait-and-see approach, which the caller was alluding to, which I think is a wise game plan, I wouldn't fault the Giants for doing that, and they want to see what he is like, back to full health, mm-hmm. how he's handling the ankle, then if you want to see how the season plays out and you can't hammer out a deal, there is nothing wrong with either maybe getting a deal done after the season or giving him the franchise tag to buy you some time. Well, I've said all along that the logical progression here is that he's got to get on the field and show them something. Coach Shermer has said that he expects him shortly to be cleared to practice maybe for minicamp coming up. But I think you're really not going to tell until training camp. Let's face it. And that's my point. Yeah. Even though, and I don't want people to jump the gun here, even though he may get on the field at minicamp and may be able to run through a few plays, that to me doesn't automatically go full speed ahead now. you got a contract. To me, I, I would think logic indicates that the player needs to be able to beat competition. He's got to go one-on-one against an opposing player from another team. Whether that means snaps in the preseason, I'm not so sure. I really think that you could make a case that they don't sit down and do a deal with him until after the first few games of the regular season. He actually gets out there in September and beats a few guys. And then, okay, you know what? Now we got now we got something here. Because if, if he's not the same player... 
how do you commit superstar money to a guy who may not be the same player? I, I mean, it's, it's no, logic. No, I, I think it's extremely logical. That's why having the franchise tag, to me, gives you a little bit more leeway and flexibility. And this is the other thing that I think everybody needs to understand. Even if the team is anxious to get a deal done, okay, L let's operate under that mindset. That doesn't mean that the player and his representatives, Paul, have the same type of anxiousness. They may still want to assess the market. They may even be saying, you know what, we'd like Odell to get a few games under his belt because then maybe he'll prove that he is back to 100% and he'll continue to increase mm -hmm. his value. You know, that may be their philosophy. Mm -hmm. Now, there's risk involved in that too. You know, I'm just looking over the 2014 draft class. Mike Evans, okay, recently got a deal done. Jarvis Landry recently was given an extension by the Cleveland Browns. So okay. my point is Beckham's camp has at least a few wide receivers that they can go by. But there are still players in this class that they may want to see what pans out, and they also may want to see what happens with some established veterans, meaning who are equivalent to Odell Beckham in terms of status in the NFL, and they may want to see if they maybe are eventually going to rework a deal or something to that degree. So, you know, I don't know what Odell Beckham's mindset is. You know, we haven't heard much from him, and we're certainly not speaking to his representatives. So you just don't know where they're at. Everybody's looking at it, I guess my point is, Paul, from the Giants' lens. But maybe they're more patient, too. And they want to say, hey, you know, let him get back on the field, and then we could talk a little bit more. Again, what's what's wrong with that? Nothing at all. There, there are I think those, it benefits both sides. There are those people who just want to rush this thing along. Yeah. And, and to me, it is careless to do so. And and But at the same time, there are those people who say, well, because it's not rushing along, this is tragic. This is a problem. The fact that it's not moving along quickly and they don't have a deal done, this is terrible. No. 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 <laughs> That's not the case. You know? It takes, it takes time to grow a cucumber in your garden. You like the food thing? I'm glad you went back to that. Takes yeah. time to Still grow no Italian food. Takes anyway, time yeah. to grow a tomato. There we go. That's up my alley. Okay. All right, there, there you go. go. Yes, takes time to boil the water for the pasta. There we see. We finally hit the money. That's the money analogy. Or yeah. for the sauce to bubble on the stove. Absolutely. See, now, now we're hitting our stride. <laughs> Took a little bit, but you know, 40 minutes into the program, finally get into the. There you go. So you know, that's where maybe Odell Beckham's mindset is. Or maybe it's the team's mindset. But I don't think anybody should be alarmed that a deal hasn't been done simply because of the fact that you're hearing media reports left and right. And let's face it, I understand some of the fans are anxious, Paul, because every time there's an OTA and every time there's a mini camp, people are talking about whether or not Odell Beckham is here or not. And then it adds more layers to the narrative about he doesn't have a contract. They have the franchise tag. And until the franchise tag is removed from the CBA as a tool for teams, mm -hmm. I really don't think there's anything to worry about. I, that, that's just how I feel. And I would say the same thing about any other player. What about Aaron Donald? The Rams haven't gotten a deal done with Aaron Donald. You know, Rams fans, the evolving Rams fan, because yeah. the St. Louis fan to the L.A. <laughs> fan, okay? So we have to be politically correct. Yes. I'm sure, you know, you can make the same argument. Aaron Donald's one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. I mean, Sure. If you're the Rams, hey, don't you want to hammer out a deal? Get this done? Sure. With? But you know what? Sometimes both sides can't meet. They may want to see a little bit more. And I'm sure the Rams are saying to themselves, hey, you know what? We at least have the franchise tag. Just understand something. There were many reasons for the timing of a deal. Okay? One of many is 
they can't agree on money. Sometimes it's length of deal. Sometimes it's the particulars within the deal. The length. Sometimes it's the guaranteed money. Sometimes it's the player who doesn't want to be there. There can be many reasons. Or maybe the team doesn't want him. Maybe they're not so sure. Or maybe they just want him under their conditions. There are so many reasons and factors as to why a deal gets done or doesn't get done at an appropriate time. That's why when John Maris says it'll get done when it gets done, it'll get done in due time, whatever the case may be, however he has phrased it over the course of the last several months, he's basically telling you nature's going to take its course one way or the other. And that's it. You know, don't push it. Lance Middle, Paul Dottino with you here on the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's head back to the phone lines. It was my mistake for calling out his name because he actually follows our directions. Charlie's in Portland, Maine. Hey, I heard my name. Yeah, I had to that call was my in. first mistake. I did specifically say you could tweet at us. I, I didn't say to use the phone. I did. But, I heard yeah. that, but it's easier to call. Of course. Anyway, I want to shout out to uh, uh, Tim. He's a smart guy and fan. He's uh, taken in some of my expertise. So I appreciate that. So a shout out to Mr. Tim. So uh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, look, uh, an ex-Giant just got released from the Chicago Bears. He's an offensive tackle. Oh no, Mr. McCants. Well, Mr. McCants is the only uh, offensive tackle left from that draft class when we picked Mosley and I think Brewer and, and a Brewer was that the we picked previous and, year. Brewer yeah. came in 11, oh. and then you had Matt McCants and Brandon Mosley in 12. Yeah, and there was a couple of guards that we had in that draft. Those guys are all out of the NFL. The only guy that's still in the NFL is McCants. So why not bring him in just for try it out for some competition? He is a veteran, and he has played for, you know, I remember he's played for Oakland, and he played for the Bears. And uh, so you wanted some names. There's a name that just appeared. So uh, I, I think that – go ahead, Paul. No, well, no, I, I, it's it's Lance, by the way. I'm glad that you can oh, tell okay, the difference Lance. between the two of us. Uh, <laughs> I was gasping for air, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why no, I was waiting for you to what breathe. I, what, <laughs> what, I, what I was going to say is, I mean, why stop there? Why not invite Mitch Petras back to – um, oh, that was the guy. No, he's out of the league. This well, guy's well, still you, in the league. Well, you just said, well, maybe he's well-rested. And, and, and maybe <laughs> no. he's ready to put the pads back on. I mean, I think the, the, the fact, is one the of the first that, guys we let go, and he's still in the league. Well, but the, the fact that you're selling yourself short and cutting it off in 2012 is just disappointing to me. I mean, there's also some offensive linemen, I think, that were drafted in about 1999 by the Giants <laughs> that I'm sure would welcome an invitation back to training camp, too. I, I just don't understand why you're closing your horizons here in terms of your sample size. Charlie, listen, I've told this to you so many times before, and I'm, I'm serious. I'm not joking around. The Giants personnel department has their radar out for any upgrades that they can find to this 90-man roster, and that includes the offensive line. They've already done a bunch of things with that unit over the course of the last few months. And, and to, you know, really – I, I know I know you mean well, but Does you it? have to also be realistic, too. You know, you can't be making a move every single week for the sake of making a move. And I know you want to, you know, totally overturn the unit, and, and they kind of have to a degree, but, but your constant wanting to change guys, that doesn't help. I mean, how about giving these guys an opportunity to work as a fivesome and see what they can do? 
No, I, I, I you know, I, I agree with that. But how come we keep bringing in other positions? We bring in tight ends. We because bring in they don't work as a five-man unit. That's why. Charlie, come on. You know this. You've been watching the game a long time. Offensive linemen have to have some we kind have of continuity. No we have no depth at tackle. Hey, you know that. I, I, it, it, is, it is a thin, concerning position unless, unless yeah. they really believe. Now, again, yesterday the second team tackles – were Nick Beckton at left tackle and Chad Wheeler at right tackle. Those were the two guys running with the second team. Now, you and I both know you have to have at least three tackles on a team. Yep. So so they must feel at the moment that Beckton and Wheeler are the two guys most qualified to be that guy. Well, well and to your point, and, and Charlie, hold on, Charlie, hold on here a second. To Paul's point, if you're saying you want three tackles on the team, Paul, then if they envision Solder and Flowers as the starter and then Wheeler sort of as a swing guy. You have then, to have at least three yeah, tackles. So my point is, there's your three. If they're if, content and If they believe Wheeler's the, the third guy, then Wheeler's the third guy, and exactly. you got to live with that, Charlie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Come well, on. Well, let me ask you this. We, we can do better do than you, this. Well, do you – do you know how good Chad Wheeler is? This is another guy who has a very, very small sample size. Tiny. Is it is it fair to you, you know, or to him, to say that he can't be the third tackle? Is that yeah. fair? Hey, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is bring in some veteran competition. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but and we don't they... have any veteran competition on the right side. And and you know, except for Flowers, and he's not really a veteran. And I don't think <laughs> I'd ra- I would take a cucumber. For flowers, if we could get rid of them, but that's me. Hey, I just want to give a shout out to myself. It's my birthday today, so the Gemini Happy birthday, dream, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> has to shout myself out and to all Giants fans. Hey, it's going to be a good year. I mean, I I look at it. We're going to be in the playoffs this year. Uh, Eli's going to have one of the best seasons he's ever had. All we have to do is find that right tackle, and we're good to go. You got it. All right, Charlie. Okay, guys. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. And listen, this is Charlie's favorite subject, so we're never going to convince him to simmer down a little bit on the subject. With that being said, I always say this, Paul. You don't bring in players for the sake of bringing in players. You bring in players because you believe that there's value in them and they're going to bring competition and they're going to maybe help push other guys. So every time Charlie brings up a name and says, oh, there's a veteran out there, why don't they bring him in? The scouting department may not see that player as a valuable addition the to the The key word is upgrade. If you don't yeah. believe there's a legitimate chance to upgrade through the move, you don't make it. It's just that simple. Yeah, uh, I'm anyway. with you. I'm 100% with you, Paul. We have something to uh, to tell well, the folks. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to get to another phone call. No, we, we should do this first. Well, no, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I just want to get to the phone call first, and then we will certainly get to that other item that we were I... just teasing along here. Marco is in Connecticut. Marco, what's happening? Hey, Lance and Paul. How are you today? I'm doing well, Marco. How's everything? Everything's great. Um, what do you got? Hey, I got two, two, two questions for you. One is kind of big picture that I want to get uh, both of your opinions on. But the other uh, specifically – is about Lorenzo Carter. Um, I kind of feel like we were so everyone was so excited about him after the draft, and you know no, nothing happened that would change that. Except uh, I think things have gotten a little quiet about him, and okay. I've wondered about him. Uh, I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't really know too much about him until like the draft process started, and I did hear he was uh, 
uh, you know, like a, a really up-and-coming draft pick. And then when we picked him, I was pretty excited. But I've been curious about him in the defense, in this specific defense. How did he at Georgia, how did he kind of compliment um, Roquan Smith? Because Roquan was really the player that got the most attention there. So it's kind of wondering what Lorenzo Carter's role was alongside a big player like Smith. Yeah, in short, his role constantly changed. As he described to us, he played all of the positions in the linebacker room over the course of his time at Georgia. And and quite honestly, that's one of the reasons why, as the Giants made their pick, they said they anticipate that he's going to be a dynamic pass rusher for them because they're projecting. They're looking at him, and they're seeing his physicality, his athleticism, his size, his length, his frame, and they're saying, Oh, boy, this guy could be a – no, they're saying this guy could be a terrific pass rusher. Let's let's use him in that way. We're going to focus on that part of his game because we've seen him do a little bit of everything else at Georgia. We're going to make him an elite pass rusher. And I think that's – that's what their mindset is right now. And anything else that he does beyond that's a bonus. They're looking at him right now to be part of that pass-rushing package to complement Olivier Vernon. Got it. Got it. All right, thanks. Um, looking forward to seeing him more. Yeah. The, um, the other question is for both of you. Uh, not a prediction, just kind of, I think, something fun to think about. Who do you guys think is the player – that um, after the season, we're going to look back on and say, we didn't talk about this guy enough leading into the season. Well, it's funny you mention that because I think that sort of falls into place with what we talked about yesterday when we got a similar question, Marco, about who's capable of a breakout campaign and maybe who's falling under the radar right now. So we did throw out a few players. I mean, Avery Moss was one of the players that we talked about because we feel maybe with now a new defensive scheme that maybe he could take the next step. And, And let's face it, when you talk about the defensive line right now, not a lot of people are focusing on Avery Moss. I think a lot of focus is on whether or not Olivier Vernon can get the double-digit sacks, what Kareem Martin's going to bring to the table, some of the young defensive linemen, B.J. Hill, the tackles what, what that they do brought in. Correct. The draft? I mean, Avery Moss is not really a part of the conversation. So I think he's a good candidate to what you're talking about, Marco, if you look at okay. at least the front seven. Uh, he would be one of the first yeah. guys that would come to I mind. agree. I uh, I just started thinking about this the other day, and the reason why the, I started thinking about that question, and the reason why was um, I saw John's interview with Hunter Sharp, and I started thinking about this guy, and I'm like, you know, every year, every year's a sixth that the fans get really excited about in training camp, and you know, I don't know about the contributions or what are made or what aren't, but. I feel like a guy like Sharp, and then I started thinking more about the position. I'm like, man, Lattimore, and we brought in Russell Shepard. I'm like, there are a lot of players here in the wide receiver position that are going to help on special teams, and and also I think just be real contributors as a wide receiver. So those are, I guess those are the guys I'm thinking about. I think Lattimore is going to be the guy. Uh, so I'll hang up and listen to you guys, but uh, as always, thank you. You got Bye-bye. it, Marco. Appreciate the phone call. I- I'm with you. Uh, I think that Cody Latimer is going to carve out a role on this team, whether it be the third or the fourth wide receiver, in addition to his special team's responsibilities. I mean, he has looked good so far lining up with the first team. I think he's taken advantage of his additional reps. Hunter Sharp 
to Marco's point, Paul, is another good candidate to say, oh, well, nobody's talking about him. But I think if you were to ask me Avery Moss versus Hunter Sharp, Avery Moss's chances of making this team are much higher than Hunter Sharp. So that's why I would go with Avery Moss is in all likelihood a guy that nobody's talking about that maybe we'll hear more about during the season than perhaps a Hunter Sharp. Well, because pass rushers by their very nature are more valuable than dime a dozen receivers. And I'm not trying to disparage Hunter Sharp, but receivers, you know, are more easily to obtain than they are bonafide pass rushers. And if Avery Moss is going to be the pass rusher that they think he is, well, that's a diamond in the rough. That's a very valuable piece of the, of the roster. Um, Russell Sharp is another interesting guy Russell for Shepherd, me. Yeah, uh, Russell Shepard, yeah. Russell Shepard. I'm combining the two. The Sharp guys, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, look at his look at his numbers w- w- with the Bucks. I mean, 23 catches over 14 yards a catch uh, back in 2016. Um, you know, for a guy who, you know, maybe number four, maybe number four. I don't know. Let's see what the competition brings out in him. But for a guy who might be number four in your depth chart, those are adequate numbers. Yeah, I don't think that there's any issue. I mean, that's another reason why they brought in some of these players because clearly some of them had connections to Dave Gettleman, but the other factor was they weren't necessarily utilized as much as receivers on their previous teams. Maybe they bring them into the mix here with the Giants and they could blossom. So I think that was a big part of it. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. We're going to get to some of your tweets, and then I want to hit real quickly on the NFC East, the rest of the teams, and their likelihood of making the playoffs. But first, we just want to tell you that the Giants have released a statement on the health of general manager Dave Gettleman. It can be found on Giants.com. So when you have a moment, head to the website, and you can read that statement on the health of Dave Gettleman, a development that was just released today by the New York Football Giants. With that being said, on the topic of the Giants and the upside of the team moving forward, with respect to how the rest of the division is going to play out, Paul, we focused on this NFL.com article about the Giants. I just real quickly want to touch on some of the other factors for the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Redskins, because those are going to be three teams that we're going to be paying attention to throughout the course of this season. So the five factors why they think the Eagles are going to get back to the playoffs, it's not make it again, it's clearly getting back and defending their championship. The Eagles still seem like underdogs, according to NFL.com, meaning they don't think this team truly has gotten enough credit for what it accomplished. Number two is Doug Peterson, and you hit on this earlier. You were talking about how he moved the running backs around, so that was a big factor. Jim Schwartz, how he has provided stability for that defense, and he is still on the coaching staff. So they have a new offensive coordinator yes. because Frank Reich is now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So they brought in Filippo from the Vikings. But Jim Schwartz is still there providing stability for the defense. So they like that. This was an interesting title. They say they're the new Raiders. And what they mean by that is the Raiders of old who were always competing for Super Bowls because of a lot of veterans on defense and an aggressive mm-hmm. defense. That's why they're making that type of comparison. You know... I happen to be a Carson Wentz fan. I liked him coming out of school, um, and I think he's been exactly what was advertised, if not more. And so I'm a big fan, but he's coming off a significant injury. I have never been a huge Nick Foles fan. I thought they caught lightning in a bottle several years ago when he had that sensational season for them. And I know he did what he did down the stretch last year to get them the Lombardi Trophy. I understand that. But it was also a small sample size. Um, I don't know what Carson Wentz is going to be coming off of this injury. This is a big deal. 
what 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 he's trying to rehab from. And in spite of the fact that we spent a lot of time earlier talking about Orlovsky saying that, you know, the Eagles have this great scheme and so forth and so on. Remember, they're the hunted now. Their bag of tricks has been on display. And it's one of the reasons why teams have such a hard time repeating. Because once you put your bag of tricks on display and you put them all out there because you're making a run for the championship and you want to get that ring, well, now all of a sudden, the bag is kind of empty. And everybody else has had months and months and months to react. This is the way it always happens in this league. It's a copycat league. So, you know. Well, you should, have to adjust. Should the, Eagles, win, should, the Eagles, to adjust. should the Eagles be favorites to win the Super Bowl this year? I say no way. Well, I don't think necessarily they should be favorites to win the Super Bowl. I still think they're the team to beat in the NFC East. I think they at least deserve that label. No? I'd have no problem Until arguing we with see the otherwise, they I should would, be treated I could, that way. I could not argue with you there that the defending champs in the division, and I don't think anyone else has improved to such a phenomenal degree that you could favor them over Philly in the division. But, you know, you, you, you're going to try telling me teams like the Vikings and the Falcons and maybe even the Packers with Aaron Rodgers hopefully being okay. Again, he's come off an injury too. Yeah. You could – Tell me that these teams are just going to concede the Eagles are the favorites? The Rams? They're just going to concede that the no, Eagles are the favorites? I don't think so. But I, I just think if – I mean, right now all we could do is go by paper, Paul. On paper, I think the Eagles are relatively intact from last year. They're going to get Carson Wentz back. Yes, you have to see how he is, but that's at least a benefit on paper. They have made some slight changes on offense in terms of new tight ends because some of their depth chart behind Zach Ertz has changed, and they brought in Mike Wallace, the former Ravens and Steelers wide receiver, and Torrey Smith was traded to Carolina. So, you know, there are some evolving factors for the Eagles, but stability is there, and, and that's important in the NFL. You it have is. to be able to keep your roster intact, especially when you do well the previous season. If you can do that, you know, that's an accomplishment in itself given the finances that you have to deal with. And Carson Wentz, by the way, is factor number five, his return as to why they feel good about the Eagles. Mm -hmm. In terms of the Cowboys trying to make the playoffs after finishing 9-7, and seven, Zeke being available for the full season, not suspended, emerging faces on defense. What they mean by that is Leighton Van Der Esch, who was their first-round pick in the mix, Demarcus Lawrence, who they feel may be coming into his own. Taco Charlton is another young guy. And that Rod Marinelli has done a nice job with helping this young secondary come to life, whether it be Byron Jones now moving positions again. You have the youngsters, Cheeto Ouzie, as well as Jordan Lewis. You know, they feel good about those guys. And they also like the addition of Chris Richard, who was with the Seahawks coaching staff, and he is now the defense's passing game coordinator in combo with Rod Marinelli. Another full offseason for Dak Prescott is a selling point for them. The big ugly, still big and ugly, meaning the offensive line for the most part is still intact. And they also added Cameron Fleming from the New England Patriots. And then the fifth selling point is a less than pristine NFC East. And, and this goes back to your point, Paul, about how there's been a lot of turnover, a lot of parity. The Eagles are the last team to win consecutive NFC East titles. Four in a row going back to the early 2000s. Since then, it's been flip-flopping back and forth. So, you know, that would be, to me, your selling point about why the Eagles should not even be a lock because nobody's been able to duplicate the NFC East Championship. That's as good a so reason long. as any. That alone <laughs> you should start with. 
So that's why there's upside for the Giants, the Cowboys, and finally the Redskins, too. Look at it this way, and, and I'll, I'll finish on this. I know we're kind of running out of time. Look at the division between the franchise quarterback, Carson Wentz, coming back off injury. That's a big deal for the Eagles because we all know the quarterback is the most important guy uh, on game day. That's a big deal. Redskins, Kirk Cousins is gone. Okay, they got to figure out if Alex Smith can do for them what he did for Kansas City. That's a big deal. Dallas gets Ezekiel Elliott back now for the whole season, but guess what? Des Bryant, whether you like him or don't, he's gone. It's a different dynamic in Dallas now. And then with the Giants, Giants have done significant changes to their roster, changed their front office, changed their head coach and their staff. I mean, can anybody really seriously tell me if I said to you right now, bet the mortgage on your house, give me the order of the NFC East in January? Come on. Who's going who's to have enough confidence to do that? There are too many unknowns right now in this division for anybody to concretely believe that they know what's going to happen. A lot of fluidity. I would agree with you there. I mean, once again, on paper, the money should be with the Eagles because of the stability in their returning. But in reality, completely different. Yeah. I can make a case, and I, I, I probably say this just about every season because of the fact that nobody's been able to duplicate, but I don't think it's a stretch to make a case for the Cowboys, the Giants, the Redskins, or the Eagles to win this division. And, and on the yeah. topic of the change at quarterback for the Redskins, Alex Smith's arrival is factor number one, why they feel mm -hmm. good. Darius Geis is still in the backfield, according to NFL.com. Witchcraft in the NFC East, which is the <laughs> ever interchangeable right. teams. Depth in the trenches, and the Redskins got a lot of defensive linemen coming back, either from injury mm -hmm. or who they've drafted. That's probably one of the factors that should not be overlooked. And then Alex Smith having a number of weapons on offense. Jamison Crowder, Josh Doxson, Paul Richardson from the Seahawks. If they can utilize some of those guys like they did with Kansas City, who knows? Washington could very well be making some noise. Again, I would not write them off. I could see you making them potentially the favorites to repeat in the division. I could understand that, but I would not say that with a tremendous amount of confidence if I were anybody. I'm with you there. I have to see training camp. Got to see how the injuries play out. A lot out has to be done the before then. Before I think we have a, a better grasp of this division. Right now, though, as usual, it looks very much wide open. Mm -hmm. That's going to wrap things up for us today on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Certainly appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll be back up and running tomorrow at noon Eastern, keeping you all up to date on the latest with respect to Giants information. And head to Giants.com for all the latest info. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. We'll speak to you tomorrow right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.